Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we left off. Well, let's 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 regroup here for a moment. Seek the seven shards of the siren's soul on the seven worlds where the siren once played a role. For each fragment, my heir must pay a toll to once again make the siren whole. This chapter pivots around this riddle, this four-line shard riddle. One could argue the whole book does. Well, that's true. (laughs) Fine. The whole book does. But you know what? When they were arguing in the office, they didn't mention this. And when Parzival was waking up in the morning and and looking down on himself from his spacecraft, they didn't mention this. Okay, so this one has got the, uh, the jeweler's magnifying glass on the riddle. Yes. Or or I should say maybe this is really that first chapter where we get into the stuff that I like, which is him pondering this riddle. And the cool part about the riddles, particularly in this series of books that I like, is that it gets you thinking, you know, what toll does he have to play, right? What role did did the siren once play? What, you know, why is there seven? What what is going to drag him through? Well, and let's let's circle back to the beginning because we we find our our faithful protagonist slicing and dicing his way through the princess bride. Fucking awesome! Which is just a great way to start. It's at the end of the movie, and 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 basically him. Finishing off that movie as the hardest character in the book. Or really, I'm sorry, let's try this again. He's finishing off this flick sync as the hardest character in the movie. And what I found interesting here was this sort of moment wherein he takes great delight killing the villain of this story. The six-fingered man. Right. So, you know, but that again was kind of like a maybe a, a slight shadow. The fact that he's using this not just as a means to try to find one of the shards, figuring that maybe because this was a favorite movie of Kira's, that that completing it a hundred percent forwards and backwards, you know, and, and even the, the gender swapped roles that he would be able to come up with something. And yet at the same time, he finds himself standing on the beach, having been congratulated for completing uh, a million points, which is as much as he could go. It's like the max that you can go for this flick sink. And nothing. No shard. So can we talk a little bit about how ridiculous it was for him to think that this was going to be something that would have led to the shards? I don't know. Why... If you're researching everything that huh. a person loved, no, and, and, I and keep in mind, like the first book, the riddles were about what Halliday loved. Did. Yes, but but then it, it was after it was discovered to be part of the first gate 
or the first key or whatever, the first gate. It was after it was discovered to be part of the first gate that GSS then started to market FlixSix. So, sure. so either if this is an actual FlixSync, then there was no way this could be part of the shards of it because it would have been created after Halliday died. And but we don't know that. But we, we, I, but we I, know I, that the, we know that GSS started marketing it afterwards. What we don't know is how many flick sinks had been created prior to his death. So when they opened it up, it may have opened up but, a lot of flick sinks that he created. But the, the ones that we know about from the first book were the ones that were a part of the path. So we don't we don't know if this was created after he died. If it was a true flick sink, then it would have had to have been. Uh, flick sinks weren't really a public commodity until way after. Uh, way after the contest. Well, no, until way after he died. Like, you couldn't do a flick sink until the first flick sink that was ever discovered was mm-hmm. the War Games flick sink. And then GSS started to buy up the rights to different movies to be able to do flick syncs of other films. That's from the first book. No, I get that. But we don't, I mean, we don't know how many were created before Halliday died. Later on, on page 72, he does refer to all these different versions of the Princess Bride that he, you know, as different characters and the gender swapped one as quests. Mm-hmm. So then that's not unusual though. Quests could definitely quests are definitely a thing that could have exist that would have existed beforehand, but a flick sync wasn't what flick sync wasn't even a word until after the contest. All right. Then I won't call it a flick sync. It's an interactive movie. That could have been made before, before Halliday died. So, so then let me then let me ask you this: What's the difference between a quest and a flick sync? A quest would be something within a flick sync. So, for example, he can do multiple characters. He can play an ego. He can play any of the characters. He can play the characters backwards. Each one of those is a quest. But, and at the end of some quests, you get rewarded. If the, like in the first book, he got rewarded with certain. Uh, you you could potentially get an item from it. But what made the flixing so much, I guess, fun was that you were basically playing a character in your favorite movie or whatever, and you're trying to do all the lines and, and all that stuff. But if that's the same thing as a quest, like if you were going to do you know, if Princess Bride quest, mm-hmm. what's the difference between a Princess Bride quest and... No, no, no. It's not a Princess Bride quest. Princess Bride is the movie. The quest is you playing it through as one of the characters. So then what uh, of the characters you could play. So then the War Games flick sync is that were you doing it as Matthew Broderick's character? That's the quest. That would be one quest. Maybe another one would be playing as his girlfriend. That could be another. Another one could be him playing as what was the what was the guy's name? Falcon. Oh uh, yeah. Professor Professor Falcon. Professor Falcon. Ah, come, yeah. come. You, you could play as him. Whatever characters had a, a certain role, had certain things that they could say. If you wanted to be able to quote the entire movie, every character could potentially be a quest, small or large. So I, I and, guess then I'm trying to understand why the idea of the flick sync was so innovative and they had to patent it and then make money off of it after they discovered the War Games flick sync. When, if that's no different than a quest. A quest is something you do within a game. So if you're playing an RPG, for example, your RPG is made of a lot of quests and a lot of side quests. You know, you go up to one dude and the dude says, oh, I'm so glad that you came. We have needed a stranger to come and help us. And if only somebody would help us defeat the wild boars in the forest just to the west of us, then I would happily give him five gold coins. Will you accept this adventurer? And then if you say yes, it's like, oh, thank you. Come back when you've slayed the boars. And that is a quest. That is a quest. Some quests are big, like I must go kill the dude in the castle. Other quests are small, like you must kill five boar in the forest. 
But they're quests. They're quests within a larger game construct. That, so, that doesn't surprise so me. I, I'm just saying I think that he was a little bit foolish th- thinking that it would have been part of it if it was a flick sync that was created after the first contest. Yeah, that's the reason why I don't think it is. Because that would be foolish. And he's got a reason for doing any of these things. You know, that's that's like that's like hunting Easter eggs in someone else's lawn who doesn't hide Easter eggs. Why would you do it? I don't hide Easter eggs. I don't, even, I don't even have a lawn. Yeah. Well, okay. I there live in go. a townhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I have bushes. You hide the eggs in the street. I have the bushes. The kid survives. You, he lives for another year. Can you hide Easter eggs in mulch and bushes? Yeah, I have. Okay, then maybe I could hide Easter eggs. It can be done. Okay, so moving beyond that, though, he's disappointed at the fact that nothing comes from him completing all of the quests in this single flick sync game. So, actually, uh, just pause. Could you finish one of these flick, flick syncs of Princess Bride right now? Fuck I, no. I like, couldn't. my favorite movie, I don't know by heart. I'm not even really sure what that movie would be. I mean, there are some movies that I know quotes from. Like Ghostbusters, I probably know some, but it's kind of like a song when it comes on the radio and it plays and you're singing along and you kind of just so long as you get that first word in a given line, you got then it. you know the rest yeah, of it. But, but yet, if you don't know the first yeah. word, you know, forget it. Like I, I, I got a dozen songs I could sing if it was playing, but if any of those songs weren't playing, I don't know that I could sing it myself. I don't know that I could do karaoke without the damn words on the screen. So I guess is what I'm getting at. So, th- so think about the amount of energy and time it took for him to be able to play these multiple characters perfectly, and perfectly their lines, their actions. Maybe he gets bonus yeah. points for intonation and you know, accent. I mean, it's a it's an endeavor and a half. Yeah, he says now after nearly a dozen attempts, he had finally done it and once again had nothing to show for his efforts. Which, you know, a dozen attempts for somebody who'd probably already seen this movie a hundred times before, you know, in comparison to the number of times he's seen any other number of movies. That's a lot, but it's it's not just it's not just the verbiage too, it's the actions. It's the good so thing the, he's it not it has to be perfect. It's a good thing he's not like the CEO of a major corporation or anything. No, no, no. No, he doesn't have the time for that. Does not have the time for that. And so I have another observation about the shard riddle. Mm-hmm. So it says, seek the seven shards of the siren soul on the seven worlds where the siren ones played a role. The seven. Not just on seven worlds where the siren ones played a role. The seven. I see. Okay, are you saying that it's a singular seven worlds? I'm not. Is that where you're? Well, he's not saying these seven worlds. It, it puts. A, Look what we have for you. Look at we have the your prize. These seven worlds. These before you. He's using the as a as a you think singular is is on purpose here. I think it's putting a lot of emphasis on it. Like that. Like there are only the seven worlds. Not well. Not he didn't just put a capital T. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say I'd say seek the seven shards. You know, yeah, it's, but uh, that's like these, not just just seek seven out of how many shards. It's these seven shards. But then there's the or the seven worlds where she once played a role. It makes it sound like she only had a role in seven worlds. Uh, yeah, look, you've got more insight into that than I do. I don't have to tell you. I was just um, I was reading it slash listening to it and just being like these seven worlds because he he lists nine worlds that he that he puts emphasis on that are his go tos that and they and she played a role in all of them and we know from his description that in theory she or in actuality she had a role in many most if not all of the worlds right. So sure. So when you when you break it down to these seven worlds, it's to me- well. I think you're putting an overemphasis on it. That would be, you know, if I said, "Hey, go take out the garbage cans," 
you wouldn't turn around and go, the garbage cans? You mean multiple garbage cans can be one garbage can? The garbage cans? No, it's just it's just the garbage cans. Yeah, you, know, you mean very specific garbage cans. You're no, it's it's I you know the garbage cans, whatever those whatever garbage cans I am talking about. You know, in this case, it's the seven shards. You know, where where are the seven shards? Are they separate seven shards? I don't know that the means singular. Uh, again, though, you know more about this than I do, so you tell me. Uh, this was an observation I made while listening to it this time because it just seems so specific like it kind of it kind of makes me feel like how because this is a, this is a holiday riddle that this this is playing back to the point that he was making where he was always under he wasn't giving kira credit all the time and og always tried to but halliday didn't so maybe in his mind she didn't really have a role in many worlds but these seven for sure well, sure. And, and you ask yourself, the seven worlds, which seven worlds to which he follows where the siren once played a role? Oh, okay. So now we're narrowing it down, kind of. You know, how did the siren play a role? And then it's kind of like filtering. I suppose. It it just... I mean, it's... It, which which seven worlds? The ones where she played a role? Okay, well, she played a role in a lot of worlds. Like, what kind of role? But like, and, and we kind of, we kind of get a clue of that towards the end of the chapter, which kind of gives a hint that Parzival's heading in the wrong direction. But before we jump there, because that that really does jump us across a, a number of a number of references. It's it's it. What I find interesting about this chapter is that, unlike. What was the chapter in the first book that was just, you know, naming off authors and books and movies? That was chapter six. That was my okay. that was my first appearance on this podcast. Oh, okay. Well, oof. That this is like chapter six, kind of. He's just going through and naming a, a bunch of references and and why they're connected and why he thought that maybe it would be there. You know, movies with the number seven in them. You know, movies with roles that have the name seven, just a number of looking for seven in anything that might be remotely related or remotely touched again by the three. And uh, he, he lists a lot, which he does list a lot. <laughs> and, and it's and just I'm sure it's not all of them. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But I mean, it's again, what we're looking at is a chapter with a ton of references. I feel like at least in this chapter, the references that he goes over has some rhyme or reason. Like he, he mentions it, it mentions the movies and then mentions why, right? And it just goes through a list and then draws the connections about how this was Lucas's favorite movie or, you know, this was the movie that she first saw here or, you know, here are a number of shows that she might have liked that had number seven in it. It's... it's it's a lot of references, but the gist here is that he is beating his head against the number seven and trying to extract as many details as he can. Which, so, which I guess makes some sense, but it also seems that's like... That's what I would do. It worked for the first time. It, it makes some sense, but then... I don't know. I guess it, it, it makes some sense to, to try to you know, focus in on the number seven, but that... I don't know. It it always felt to me like, why does seven have to necessarily matter for that? Like I don't know. Well, and I think the num another thing here is that if we were to take it literally, that there are seven shards. Let's say in my mind, it would have nothing to do with seven. I mean, maybe maybe seven would be a key there, but quite frankly, maybe it isn't. Yeah. Maybe it's quite literally seven different things, and you have to go and pursue those seven things. And that means that any one of those seven things has nothing to do with the number seven. Yeah. Then, I mean, I, I, I will say, though, that it was kind of fun to read the references that involved gathering seven different things to create one larger thing. The, clearly an inspiration for the seven shards. Yeah, like the Sonic the Hedgehog thing that had to do with seven pieces of something. And But the, the reference that I really enjoyed about it was the Dark Crystal. Because mm -hmm. I thought that was a 
perfect given the fact that this is all about Kira. Yeah, and that's where I feel like that looking there made the most sense. Because at this point, we're not saying seven in any sense. Although, granted, there is a shard in the Dark Crystal. But, you know, that's where she got the name Kira. That's where she got the name, what was it, for her dog? Like Fezgig? I don't know. Fezgig? Mm-hmm. We we never did get to watch this movie. You never got to watch this I'm movie. saying we didn't get to watch it for... Uh, oh, together for an episode? Yeah. We might have to, well, we to, we might have to do that. To, but, you know, th- that makes sense. Because now we've moved out of the realm of Anorak's Almanac. And we've moved into the realm of Lucasia. And it feels very much like, whereas the first book was, I want you to get to know me and the things that I loved. This book or at least this riddle, seems to move in the direction of, I need you to get to know the person I loved and everything that that person loved. Right? If you're going to get to know me and everything I love, then you need to get to know the person, my favorite person. Right? Their life, their uh, legacy, if you will, is important to me. And it is important that you get to know this person's legacy so that they can live on. Because Og's still around, but Lucasia died, and 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 Halliday has gone through the pain of that death. So he understands not only the legacy he was leaving behind and what he had to do that, but he also understood how important it was to have a legacy for those that you love that have passed on. And I kind of wonder, since this feels very focused in on her, whether the direction needs to be more specific to the things that she loved or the things that she had an influence in, right? You need to get to know her, the, the pivotal points in her life. And I was thinking that early on in this chapter, the fact that I thought that he was just going in the absolute wrong direction by going through all of these references and Anorak's Almanac that had anything to do with the number seven. I thought that was a smart idea. What, to go through everything with the number seven? Yeah, why not? I mean, it, and again, it worked for him before. I, I mean, I think I think that it was a means to get him back into that state of mind, the the Parzival from the first book. Yeah, I got got to start somewhere. Yeah, but that's a lot of time. That's all he's got. Although he did get <laughs> he did get very you know, it really started to sound very much like a downer when he was talking about like just just don't. Just, just need more time, and I have a finite amount. There's not a lot of time. I got to figure this out. It was isn't that great though. He has an appreciation for what's really valuable. You know, when he was younger, and much like you know, when we were kids, we don't think about how much time we've got. We don't think about the fact that that it is limited. It is technically your most valuable asset, and it is it is constantly being pulled from you every day. People are pulling it from you when they want your attention. People are deteriorating the value of it whenever they're asking you or whenever you have to do something that that isn't enriching in your life. You don't know how much you have left because, you know, a person could die tomorrow. And in which case, you know, the value of the next 24 hours is probably the most valuable time you could possibly imagine if you could foresee that fact. So it's interesting how he went from all I have is time as a kid, to now, I only have so much time, and I'm wasting it, which is kind of a, that's a change in mindset, like, and that's a really good point. The, it's the, probably the only area where I feel like he's actually matured somewhat, because yes. cause that's an attitude that I think takes a lot of people much more time to get to. Yeah, like, like right now, he's only, like, what would you say, he's 21? Twenty-two years old. I, 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 yeah, I guess because it was very soon after the. Uh, I mean, were you worried about running out of time in your life when you were twenty-one, twenty-two years old? No. Granted, you know, we had very different lives than he did. Yeah, yeah, you know, who knows? I mean, the gist here is that there's also some degree, some reflection on death. Like, like the book has a certain morose undertone where he thinks about the people that died that were involved in his life. 
You know, that, that is an issue he's got. That That is an issue that he deals with uh, his artificial intelligence therapist. So I, I I get that. I think you're right. That's a place where we sh- it shows in the writing here some degree of growth and appreciation for time. Or you know what? How do you feel whenever you do something where at the end of you having done it, you feel like it was a waste of time? Is that something you think you were enjoying or something you think was a drag? You're asking me? Yeah. If I feel like something was a waste of time, was it? Yeah, I'll give you an example. Like, let's just say, like, watching the movie, oh, I don't know, Brazil. Oh, God. (laughs) Exactly, right? At the end of it, did you feel like your life had been enriched? Or did you feel like it was a waste of time? I I found it valuable because I got to podcast about it to all of our adoring fans. You turned it into something that was valuable. What I'm asking is... Oh, the, the actual process of watching the movie was, like, the largest waste of time in my life, I think. Right. I mean, you didn't enjoy it. That includes sitting around on a couch twiddling my thumbs for an hour. Yeah, but I mean, you watch Goonies, right? Goonies is great. Yeah, not a waste of time, right? No, not at all. That I would watch it again. You'd watch it again. That, Maybe. <laughs> I, yeah, I would. I'm actually... If it was on television, you might sit down and watch the rest of it. I think it's on HBO Max uh, right now. I might have to find the time to go watch it. So, I get the feeling... That he's not enjoying this anymore. Oh, this is... That this is all a drag. Like, even doing the flick sinks of the Princess Bride, that's... He comes out of it disappointed. He's not enriched. He doesn't feel like he's any closer to knowing Halliday. It just feels like it's a drag. Like, he talks about wanting to give this up because it's been a drag on his friendship with Og. I I think he could be suffering from a lack of instant gratification. He's working so hard and getting nothing from it. It's like, the problem we have now where we order something on Amazon, it shows up two days later, and it's like, ah, it's great. But if it shows up on day three instead of day two, you're... I don't know. I still love it. But I get you. I understand. You're frustrated. gratification. But, I mean, he's he's been flung into a role where he says, bring me, bring me a martini, Belvedere. And a robot brings him and a martini. And a robot brings him a martini. Shaken, not stirred. Yeah, things are taken care of Dirty. for him in a, in no time. Like he he can wish for something in the oasis, and boom, it's there. Yeah, he's got the cheat codes. It's all of a sudden not fun anymore. So yeah, so now like he's got to play the game for real, real, not for play, play. And well, he was playing it for real, real the first time, but I think he enjoyed it more, and not because he got like instant gratification. But think about it. It allowed him to connect with people, a community of people that had the same interest in mind. Like he instantly had a connection with people because he was because he was but, a gunter. But he also knew what the prize was and what the prize meant. Then it was yeah, it was bet it was a, a bettering of your life. Whereas this, he doesn't know what the reward is. He can, you know, like what does that mean to make the siren whole again? He has no cl- yeah. he has no clue. So. Yeah, the, but you're right. There's no purpose here. There is no purpose. It's doing it without any clear purpose at all as to what this means, other than maybe it's a threat to his power. He's he's doing the whole thing out of boredom. Yeah, yeah. Or that maybe he feels he's it's required, right? Because why else? Why else would he pay somebody to do his work to I mean, do the job for him? It's what he's doing. And, and and I guess but, and I guess to that to that point, why not just sit around and wait to you know enjoy your life? So you you put up a reward to somebody to find a shard. It's like just be like, all right, now I got people hunting for it for me. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. Maybe it's a situation, and again, I'm not read beyond the chapter as tempting as it was. But I, I like the fact that. That the riddle isn't necessarily probing or, or gearing my mind in the direction wherein I'm trying to find or figure out where the shard is. I'm really starting to feel like the process of looking for it is a drag, has no purpose, has no reward. And I kind of wonder in the back of my head if the lesson here is it's not worth it. You know, I'm going to put it out here, but now the decision has to be yours not to follow it. And potentially to allow somebody else to have it. Or maybe this is a lesson wherein uh, as more people 
accumulate this that his powers lessen. And it's kind of like, should I pursue the shards knowing that I have this sort of addiction to pursue and potentially his power being removed in some way? Because he does, it will take a toll. So it's kind of like, you know, don't. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to make yourself powerless by pursuing these things. So just don't. You know, it's there as a temptation, but it's only going to hurt you if you waste your time doing it. I don't know. I don't know. But I kind of get that feeling based on both the riddle and I, I don't know, just the weird way that the first shard was found and how the person who found it couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, I had some very interesting th- thoughts going through my head about, you know, the the toll that was p- to be paid and who can actually find these shards. Like, is what like could Wade actually think that he was the only person that could find them? But you know, you know, at that point, I hadn't read through either, so like, I really didn't know where it was going. I was just trying to like write down an idea as quickly as I can move to the next chapter. <laughs> sure. I I th- I thought it was unusual that he drew the line that that because he was the heir and that he was the heir that would take a toll, that he was the only one that was meant to find them. To which I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, that's just odd. That's a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. Like to be in, which is, well, if I'm the only one that can do anything with it, yeah. Yeah, and it does mention it. Like, he, he presumed that he had to do these things because it would possibly be invisible to anyone else, that he was the only one who could find it. But then again, what's the damn purpose? He's already got everything. He's already all-powerful, relatively speaking. Yeah, so... What 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 more could there be? See, that's why, like, one of the, one of the weird ideas that fell into my head on this whole thing was maybe when the whole concept of the air paying a toll was basically like Parzival offering a reward to find the shard. You know, like, but, well, but that would, that would have been a stretch. I think, you know, at, at, I kept the note in there, but it, it didn't really make sense. No, no, no. I thought that too, because when I was thinking toll, I was like, well, what is he giving up? Well, he's giving a, a billion, billion dollars. dollars. Well, quite frankly, I don't know how much a billion dollars is in this realm. It's it's obviously a lot, you know, a billion dollars. <laughs> like he's give a million dollars. It's got to be a billion dollars, right? Yeah. Uh, I doubt that's an Austin Powers reference, but it feels kind of like, well, we've got to communicate a lot of money, so we'll just throw out a big number like a billion. But still, you know, that's that's good for a reward. But I have no idea what that money is worth. He he could have done it I for a million a, dollars. I can become a millionaire for fifty dollars. By buying a million dollar Zimbabwe note on eBay right now, I I don't know what a billion is, right? You know, it's it's it sounds like a lot, but I have no idea whether or not he has, you know, f- you know, two thousand two hundred trillion, or, or you know, I don't know what the deal is here. Not after they paid off the uh, the United States debt. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but you know, then they made a shitload of money hand over fist with the O and I. And then they took over IOI. I mean, obviously, they have a lot more than what they initially had when he came on board. Yeah, they, they've been so, still making money. So good for them. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, a billion is kind of – I think it's still a lot because that's kind of what he was going for, wasn't it? Weren't they – wasn't the original like a half million dollars? The original what? In the first book, was it like it was it like five hundred million dollars and you know my entire company or something along those lines? It's like two hundred and forty billion dollars. Oh, never mind. <laughs> two hundred forty billion dollars. He's got a billion to spare. I think in the movie never they mind. made a trillion. See, it's, it's little. Relatively speaking, it's not a lot, right? Relative to his actual fortune, it's just you know one. 240th of what he's got. I, but anyways, but, but so the, I thought the, I mean the 1 billion reward always always rubbed me the wrong way because it's like 
a million dollar reward would have still garnered a lot of attention. Sure. Sure. But a billion though, that would really get people going. You know, a quick billion. But I get it. That's Make that it was my thought million. as well. A billion yeah. dollars is a lot of money. Nine hundred million. Almost sounds 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 grander than one billion dollars. The one well, billion dollars. If in the first book, <laughs> if he had an opportunity to win a million dollars. That would set him up for life. Yeah. 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 I mean, given how poor he was, yeah, it would have done him real well. And we're not far from that. So, okay, I guess the, the value is still there. But, you know, the point, in fact, is is that there, that's for him, that really wasn't a toll. No, it wasn't. So that's why I kind of abandoned that because I also would have expected that, you know, that line would have suggested that he would then pay a similar type of toll for each shard. Right. Which is a hard thing to predict many years in advance. Well, I kind of wonder if as he's discovering a shard, if he doesn't lose a power, like he accesses the robes and he's like, I want to, I want to instantly teleport over there to this world. And then it's like, sorry, you can't do that anymore. So so I actually had a very similar thought about this uh, earlier on in the book was what, like what if the reason why like the, like the, the air paying a toll was like losing a part of his share of the company. And it was like a way of dividing up the shares of the company, like away from the person who won the first contest. And I was like, well, that that can't be it. That doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? It feels too executive. It feels like there'd be too many too many people in the way for that kind of decision to be made. Yeah. So I was thinking of all sorts of ideas. Like, like what does it mean for to pay this toll? Because it sounds so... It sounds kind of like a big thing, like you're paying a toll. Like, what is? It seems significant, right? And since Fishnets is giving out a billion dollars left and right, you know, I don't know. Huh. Anyways, it's it's it is interesting, and, and these are the thoughts that were kind of going through my head as I was reading yeah. through this. Is I, he doesn't seem like he's having fun. He he references it now as one of Halliday's glorified video games, yeah. like. It's it's at this point it's just it's Halliday is no longer the the worshipped individual that he used to be. He's the pain in the ass. Now now he's just being a pain in the ass. Exactly. That's why one of my notes after this that I wrote after this chapter was maybe Halliday is just trying to drive his air nuts, (laughs) just like he was. He had a few screws loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. After we finished running through all of these references, and I don't want to skip over anything that you... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe you've got a, a particular reference or a key point on. What was what was the next what was the next key point that that you came to in this chapter that you found particularly interesting? Well, I like that he was reanalyzing the the original Anorax Almanac, but I did kind of realize that that part where he was talking about trying to wish for information about the shards, the message is "Nice try, cheater." Yeah. Nice try is seven letters, and cheater is seven letters. Huh, okay. I don't think there's any significance to that, because that's, I don't know. I was just like, oh, seven letters. It's divisible by seven, total of 14. Yeah, and it's like, it's the seventh letter of the alphabet. No, I, but I, I thought that was kind of... Uh, just a fun thing to notice, but I don't think it was a, at all on purpose. One thing that I thought was interesting when he was talking about the b- subjecting himself to the four-part concert album by Halloween, the Keeper of the mm-hmm. Seven Keys, 
Right. What is what was it? German rock something German, or other? Mid eighties German power metal. Oh wow. In Ready Player One, Chapter Seven, Paragraph Four, Rush had been Halliday's favorite band from his teens onward. He'd once revealed in an interview that he'd coded every single one of his video games, including the Oasis, while listening exclusively to Rush albums. So that seems in- to contradict this paragraph from chapter zero 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 four, where he would said he would listen to this German power metal band for hours when he was programming his first games. Okay, but that's different though. Like he created his first games before he worked on the Oasis. But but and, but but the, but know, the line in, in Ready Player One says he coded every single one of his video games, including the Oasis. Inclu- while listening to Rush. Yeah. So I guess okay. so I guess it depends on, like, you know, he says video games in Ready Player One, but he says games in Ready Player Two. Yeah, but it's pro- he's talking about programming, so it's got to be a video game. So it's a little bit of a contradiction. All right. What do you got for me there, huh? Huh? I got nothing there. I I. I I, I would have to say that that contradiction does not bug me uh, too much because I truly doubt that any person, particularly a programmer, would only listen to one type of music. Oh, I mean, I agree. At, like while programming, because like and that wasn't just a you know a few hours, you know, a day for multiple weeks. Like he would have he would have been programming the Oasis amongst many other video games a whole lot. So that's a lot, 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 a lot of rush. Right. That's a lot of opportunity to get sick of it. <laughs> oh, no kidding. That would burn it into the <laughs> ground for me. So we, we really move out of the references that have anything to do with Seven, and we move into the things that were that were touched by Kira, right? You know, the worlds that she helped create, how Sidonia Interactive, just, just a, a ton of stuff. And... We end up wrapping through where he'd been to a number of the planets that she had had anything to do with, really. And it kind of it kind of comes back to her death and then that effect on Og and then his current relationship with Og, which is currently at the in the skits, right? Like Og is currently not having anything to do with them, does not want Parzival pursuing this 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 game, this Hunt. He's not inviting him to his birthday party anymore. Ouch. Well, you know, it, imagine this, right? Like your wife dies, or something happens, and and then somebody comes around, and that's all they're asking you questions about because they are obsessed, and they're putting, they're leveraging your friendship for personal gain. And how shitty is that? I mean, he deserves it. Oh yeah, yeah. And he he acknowledges the fact. He acknowledges that 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 he's used Og as a means of pursuing this this hunt. And, yeah, I could see why that would trash a friendship, and I could see why he would feel like shit for it. But then, of course, what does he do? He recognizes the fact, and then he gives himself how many days? Like a week? Seven days. <laughs> seven days. He specifically says, I'll do it for seven more days, and then I'll quit and go mend fences with Og. And then what happens? He gets an email. Dope. So close to so close. I know. It's killer. And it's interesting because what he has now found uh, or what he details into is I think somebody that kind of reminds him of the cheerier self that he was in the first competition. And maybe even better. Maybe. Continue. Well, I'd like to, but just bear with me for a minute here. And I'm sure that I'm going not going to pronounce this right, even though I've been listening to it. It's it Lohengrin. Yeah, that sounds good enough for me. Fair enough. And then Lohengrin was the host of a popular Gunter-themed YouTube show. It's interesting. They've still got YouTube. 
right? The lowdown show. And that this person will switch avatars, even even mid-sentence, right? Just, just to change shit up. Could be a guy, could be a gal, who knows? It's weird, right? But but that this person's sort of personal philosophy is about embracing what they love rather than trying to build themselves up by railing against other people. I mean that's a that's a paraphrase here, but that, yeah. that being sort of the life philosophy. And that she has sent him an email that says, Look, this is what I found. This is where I found it. You can believe me and uh, come meet me there. And it's interesting because it's located on the planet Middletown, which takes Ooh. us back to Halliday. And, and I suppose that makes sense because if that's where they first met, and if this is a location that is particularly important to her for some reason, then yeah, this is very much like how the first keys were found. It definitely feels a lot more Ready Player One-ish here. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I even say here in my notes, this sounds so much like Parzival did in Ready Player One. And then then I go into, why is he respecting uh, Lohengrin's privacy, but not Artemis? <laughs> like, he's being very he doesn't even know this. He doesn't know Lohengrin. Well, and that's the reason why he's not doing it. Because he admires her. We'll say her for now. He admires her for the show, for her attitude towards him. But it's that, that sort of thing like, you know, you may not want to meet the people you admire. Yeah. Because when you like them, you don't want anything. You don't want to know something that's going to make you go, ah, oh, man. Ugh. This yeah. person does suck. Because now all of this... All of what you have invested in the person that, that is your idol or your somebody that you really respect at a distance, you're invested in them. It's a part of who you are. It's a, it's a part of it, – go on. It, it, it just – it's basically – I feel like this is back to the future treatment of how he got to know and meet Artemis in the first book. It's like Artemis had a blog that he was a fan of and he had a crush on her and he would save her picture to his hard drive. Now there's this. Yeah. Now there's this. Initially, he wanted to know everything about Artemis and look where that got him. Yeah. That went to shit. Right. And now here's another person that he respects and is kind of, I don't know, kind of crushing on a little bit. And so it's kind of like, I don't want to know too much. He doesn't want to look like, behind the curtain. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And because because he like oh god, what did he say? He says something like I didn't want to ruin like the only thing in this world that was like giving him any pleasure or something. Right. And knowing too much as he has already found about somebody that you admire can ruin that pleasure. So it's not respect. He's just preserving the the relationship that he has with this figure. Well, while at a distance is still a pleasurable relationship for him. Whereas Artemis, he went as far as he could in figuring out what she was all about, and it ended up in the crapper. Yeah, so so here's what it actually says. I'd never accessed Lohengrin's account, not because doing so would violate GSS company policy and several federal laws. That had never stopped me at the past. I told myself that I was respecting her privacy, but really... I was just worried that learning Lohengrin's true identity might ruin my enjoyment of her show and rob me of one of the few pleasures I had in life that didn't involve the ONI. Right. right. So, it, so it's, it's selfishness. It's, it's not, it is. It's selfishness. There's, there's really no getting around it. It's, it's self-preservation and, and really not wanting to spoil the little pleasure that he has in life right now. Which is crushing on somebody who has a YouTube show. Right, which is probably what he feels like, where he feels like he should have stopped with Artie. I should have just let that go to just me crushing on her channel. Although at the end of the day, he still needed her, still needed still needed H. Yep. So, 
it ends up being in Middletown in a guest bedroom where I suppose she had stayed when she moved to the U.S. as a British exchange that yeah ex- a British exchange student. Yeah, there's only one you know one uh, pickle in that jar though. Is that what's that? The simulation of Middletown takes place two years before Kira slash Lucosia, Lucosia, however you want to pronounce it. Two years before she moved there. Well, okay. But sometimes places hold a, a special moment in time that carry forward and potentially can carry backward if you go and take go to that place in that setting. A case in point, if you get an autograph from somebody that you really respect and like, for a lot of people, there is a special connection. You know, if you know that the autograph is authentic, and this is the reason why authentic autographs you're going to get more money for than non-authentic autographs, where somebody else signed it, but it kind of looks like the autograph of the person, right? Faked autographs have little to no value. But true autographs bring a joy to the owner, wherein there's a connection between a physical connection between you and the person who did something in time. It's a moment in time that you're connected with, uh, a moment in time that's special in the past. But in this situation, it's a moment in time that's going to be special in the future. But because he knows it, that that does add as a special place. You know, it's it's almost like a point in in a, a location where in time is going to pivot around something and as a result it's special regardless of what time we're talking about. That's a lot of words. That was a lot of words. Sorry. I, I get the feel on this though, but it is interesting that it I it's it's just I can see if it was a situation like you know, 10 years later, going to the room where she had stayed versus going to a simulation that represents two years before where she was going to stay. So that is kind of odd. And it is kind of weird that, yeah, it is kind of weird. And also the fact that the person who found this wasn't able to do anything with it. Well, we, it answers that question. It does. So he reads the letter realizes who it is, and then pulls up his map and using his super user HUD is able to figure out where Lohengrin is. And just as he had hoped, she was still in Middletown and he was going to jump to her, jump to two or near one of the 256 copies of that hometown to go and check this out. I can see why you really wanted to turn the page when you finished this chapter. So, you know, I reached the end of this chapter, said I made my avatar invisible and undetectable, then teleported to her exact location. Ooh. And then I heard 0005. And I was like, son of a bitch. And, that- and then, you know, it started carrying. And it got about a sentence in before I was able to hit a button and press pause. But uh, this was a rough chapter. How, like, how, like, how long after you finished that chapter did you message me saying like, ah? Yeah, I know. I, I was irritated. I was pissed off. I was kind of like, you know, fucking cliffhangers. And don't get me wrong. Like, I like the fact that he kind of uses the chapters for cliffhangers. And I'm really excited that we're doing this episode because after we're done, I want to listen to the rest, you know, to, to listen to 0005. Ooh. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm excited about that because I, I have, I've got questions, damn it. You will probably get some answers. <laughs> I have got thoughts. I have questions. I have opinions. I have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I must know. Yeah. So it's it's kind of it was kind of killing me once we got to the end of this chapter. But it, it, there wasn't a lot to this, right? When we say that about every damn chapter, but this was definitely the name drop chapter, yeah. and I think that there was it was a much better name dropping chapter because it wasn't just a it list wasn't of authors. A list. Oh, I know that list. Yeah, because is... the list was just ridiculous. It was just kind of like a. It was just kind of like saying it was like bragging. It was like boasting all the things that he researched just to prove the point that he's really done his homework. In this case, it was kind of like I tried everything, this and that, and for this reason and that reason, and nothing worked. It 
And I kind of liked that better. I agree with you. But it felt a lot like their description of Sorrento trying whatever they could think of to open the third gate. Right. You know, it, because he, he's just trying it. He's like grasping for straws. Well, you know, to go along on the trip, you have to go through what's what's going on in their mind. You have to expose yourself to their, their failure. When Parzival's sitting in class trying to learn Latin, and he's going through in his head all of the things that he's tried, you know, trying to put it together, you're piecing it together with the character in the book, right? You're, you're really playing the game. So you, you have to understand the failures and the extent of the failures because finding one clue is almost just as important as failing to find it in so many other places because you're removing those from from the board. You're removing those pieces potentially from the board. You know, that, that could be hiding what you're looking for. And it's not hiding it, so you remove it. And that's what I felt about this chapter was that this was the chapter full of failures and that you're failing along with them. And you're like, well, I see why you would think that, but no, it didn't work. And then I see why you would think that, and that didn't work either. And you're really just kind of going along through the sort of troubleshooting phase. And uh, in that sense, that's exciting. Like, I, I dig that. It almost feels as if, you know, when he discovers it, you've discovered it too, because you've really put some thought in. Like, well, I, you know, I wonder if he if he should be looking in this particular area. And then you get into the book where he's like, well, I looked in that area and, and that didn't work. And you're like, well, awesome. At least we're thinking the same way. His His victory becomes my victory now. And I think that's what kind of made the first book special. So I'm, I, I'm really glad that was this chapter. But then again, I was very frustrated at the end because, you know. It was the end of the chapter. It was the end of the damn chapter. He and He has a knack for ending chapters that way. Yeah. Although sometimes it just feels like, you know, I'm going to spend 20 pages just describing a thing or place, you know, or a moment in time. Kind of like the, I got on the bus and then I traveled. And then that's the end of that chapter. Well, those are the famous point A, point B chapters. Yes. Yes. So there isn't a lot of mystery there, but I do love the fact that in, in true, in some of these chapters, there is that 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 one thing at the end that just makes you want to turn the page and go into the next chapter. And uh, yeah, this is one of those chapters. Yeah. So so what else did you I what did you also like about this chapter? Like is there anything as you look back on it that I like for me I really want to I would love to try one of those Princess Bride flick sync quest things and like that seems like a lot of fun. I'd have to study up a little bit before I could even try, but I I enjoy you know, I, I enjoyed I seeing it. that reference. In comparison to using the ONI to experience other people's experiences, to experience a, a world that was rich with your senses, but of course, you know, the real world is rich with your senses, but it's uh, not nearly as fantasy driven. Flick syncs to me would just seem boring. Maybe, but you know, and and I don't know any movies well enough that I could do well at it. Okay, you know, but but I, but, I but wouldn't you like to jump into the the lightning sand, or whatever they called it, the the quicksand? And wouldn't I like to jump into the quicksand? <laughs> he does in the movie. Well, look here, look if if it's possible to fail a flick sync movie. Then it's possible to die in a flick sync movie. That's a, I'm not saying you would die in a, real life. You know what, that's an excellent question. But but if I fell into the quick sync and that was like a, a game within within the movie, like I had to navigate and pop out in the other place. What if I failed? Would I experience what it was like to suffocate? Would I experience what it was like to to have the person that was with me? What was a princess buttercup? Yeah. To have her die in my arms while I failed, like. Now that it's uber real, now that all of the senses are engaged, I don't know that I would enjoy that at all. <laughs> you know, I can see why it would be difficult. Like, you know, if I was fighting, you know, sword play and I I didn't do it right and I'm the one that got run through. 
Well, remember that there are safety protocols on the ONI. That's an interesting. It's an interesting point because you know part of the thing is that you you know it's a little bit of a you're really you're living a fantasy, and there is some sense of. Uh, I don't know that I would want to know how stinky a rouse smells. Sure, but like the difference between that versus like using like your own brain power to generate the illusion like a like a traditional Dungeons and Dragons game. Yeah, like part of the fun of that is that you're using your imagination, right? Yeah. Mhm. So, I, and the ONI kind of takes that away. Yeah. I mean, it, I yeah. mean even just kind of going through the punches in the the regular haptics like the war games simulation, you know, elite it probably still feels then like you're a player in a video game because there is no other stimuli. Well, who knows? Maybe there is. Well, there's not. Okay, there's not an overabundance of stimuli because it's approximating feel with the haptics. But the O and I would be. Oh right, yes, that's correct. Right, like the the haptics would definitely lessen it, and I think that would make the movies more bearable. Yeah, I I, I buy that. So, anyways, I. Yeah, I, I, there isn't a movie I can think of other than maybe Ghostbusters. Maybe there, maybe there are a couple other games or a couple other movies that I would want to do, but I just there, there are definitely again, movies that if you asked me when I was like eight years old, I could have definitely mm-hmm. crushed them. But I would need to do some studying. Like I think Ghostbusters, at one point, I probably could have done nearly line for line for for at least a couple characters. Now, not so much because I don't watch it all that often, but. There, there's a few movies that, if you get, I think Rocky Horror could be fun. A movie that's based on basically on doing a a lot of that, you know, like using shouting out their lines or versions of it, yeah. And, yeah. and and you know, a good portion of it is is music based, and if you're going to memorize some music, makes it so much easier. Yeah, it really does. If you know the songs, you're halfway there. And on top of that, the other characters are singing it with you. So, you, you know, you're not just doing it by yourself. You're, you're singing along. So, I, you know, something like that would be awesome. Yeah, I'd have to say, if I was to do any Flixings movie, it'd probably be Ghostbusters and and Rocky Horror. So, what what movie Flixing would you, would you be up for doing with the O&I? Other than, like, Eyes Wide Shut. Or porno. Top Gun? Oh, that could be interesting, because that's... Yeah, except yeah. for the, the the sad part. Where? Yeah, but I mean, think of the thrill, though, oh, right? Yeah. You eject, you know, the, the thrill of the dogfight, you know, the ejecting, the playing volleyball, the, you know, singing in the bar in order to impress the girl. I mean, that, that could be fun. Riding the motorcycle and racing the jet down the tarmac. Yeah, like if I was to do a flick sync and I was doing it with the O&I, that's what I would do. Okay. I could totally be sold on that. Sound. How about you? I don't know. I'm thinking like, I wonder how well the O&I would give you the ability to feel like you were Superman or some other superhero with superpowers of some sort. Like if, like if I wanted to be, you know, Professor Xavier. Right. Like, how would it approximate the feeling of being able to read people's minds and things like that? And, or would, could I feel like Magneto and move things around just by, with thought? And what does that feel like? Like, like, I don't know how well those would translate, but if I could, you know, be Superman, I could feel like flying. Right. That'd be kind of cool. I get that. So I, I could see something along those lines. So, for example, I've got a, a Muse device. And the Muse device is a neurofeedback device wherein I, I pop open an app. And the goal is to get my mind into a state where I am more meditative and relaxed. And when you do that, your brain changes frequency. This is the best way to put it. There are a variety of different waves that your brain puts off, but it changes frequency. And 
it's difficult to know when you're in that state. It's difficult to get you there. It's hard to be self-aware when it comes to your brain, you know, and your emotions. But to have a device wherein you could figure out how to put yourself into that place. And I mentioned that because what you're talking about there is kind of the same thing. Like if part of, what if part of the flick sync was that you had to put yourself into a mental state that triggered certain events, right? If you're Magneto and you're walking out with Jean Grey and, you know, the police are out there and you want to rip the guns out of their hands and point it back at them to bring yourself into a, a controlled mental state, again, with sort of like a neurofeedback device, that then became that trigger, was like fulfilling that that moment in the game or in the movie. So it's not just words, it's not just motions, but it's literally training your brain to find a place that becomes the trigger. So I could totally see how that would be like a reality that that could happen. Any other parting words? No, I'm just excited to hit the next chapter, which is why I want to get off this thing. Yeah. I The one thing that I was kind of frustrated by at the end of this chapter was, was my, my note here was like, oh, great, Pars was going to fall in love with this Lohengrin character. Yeah, I was a little concerned that this was going to be an arty. Yeah. I was uh, very concerned. But he's still obsessed with Artie. So it's... I. I don't know. I wasn't concerned, cause it, but it's it, it, who knows? I was thinking you about know. it. You know. Shit, you know. I don't know. But it is something that kind of was... I, he didn't linger on it obsessively in this chapter, so I guess that's why it didn't strike me. You know what I mean? I hear it. Well, All right. I guess as soon as we hit stop, you'll be uh, rushing to the book. Pretty much. Yeah, probably do that this evening. So, without further ado, so that I can get to chapter 0005, Five. this is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we'll catch you on the next chapter of Ready Player Two. See ya. See ya.